Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Um, this is under these circumstances, of course, this is a bit um, uh, painful, uncomfortable. Uh, it's all sorts of feelings, I'm sure. And um, we will have some shared feelings and we will have our own individual uh, feelings and experiences around all of this. And all of that is, is welcomed. Um, and so uh, we hear you. And if there are questions and there are things you would like to voice in the chat, please do so. Um, and uh, we understand and we'll hold space for you in, in this moment uh, today. What I'd like to do is do two-parter uh, this week and next week on, um, on this, um, addressing some of the challenges that we're facing and maybe giving some uh, biblical perspective on, on all of this. Um, and what I'd like to begin is, is in the book of, of John and uh, talk a little bit about not, not the epistle of John, but the gospel of John. So we'll, talk, we'll look at uh, John uh, chapter 16. And uh, what I want to do is, is address two sort of main themes that I see um, as a way to enter into talking about what's happening to us. Uh, the first is um, how light comes into darkness and what happens uh, when, when that happens and, and how to actually be faithful to the seasons that allow that to emerge, allow light to come from the space of darkness. Um, and so in next week, we'll look at um, what Jesus talks about when he describes the old wineskins and the new wineskins and how to honor both and how to move uh, towards the new wineskins and what that looks like, um, where Jesus doesn't say too much about it, but you can see it uh, play itself out uh, through the book of Acts. So in John, uh, where we're going to be looking at John, or starting off is John 16. This is the end of Jesus's life. It's the end of his ministry. And, uh, and he says um, something pretty uh, painful <laughs> uh, to his disciples. Um, where he says, you know, for verse four, I've told you this so that when the time comes, you'll remember I warned you about them. Um, and he's talking about the difficulties that will come into their lives. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I've said these things. And this is so common for us when we experience pain is that we tend not to want to know what's next, but what, uh, what is about what is happening, the pain of the present, right? Uh, none of you asked me, where are you going? Right? It's not about what's coming. It's about what we are losing, not what we're gaining. And this is, speaks to human psychology is this, we prefer what is by far than what could be. We prefer to keep um, our, our current situation the way it is than to disrupt it, right? For obvious reasons. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's normal. Um, but Jesus is addressing this as part of the growth processes. I know that this is true of us. I know that you're not asking where I'm going. What's next? What am I doing? What's the work about what God is doing on planet Earth? I know you're not interested in that right now. You're filled with grief because I've told you that this is about to happen. I'm about to go away. But then he continues here, but I tell you the truth, or uh, but verily, 
um, truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, you will prove the world to be wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. All right. But the point here that he makes, and he keeps going on with this, um, you will, you know, Jesus wanted to say in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me, right? And then he goes on and says something very similar here. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. What is he doing? Where is he going? What's happening? So he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned to joy. Now listen to the metaphor or, li- or hear, read and hear the metaphor of that Jesus uses. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when the baby is born, she forgets the anguish of her joy uh, because of her joy and the child is born into the world, right? So he uses this illustration that, look, um, there's this thing that's coming and there's this thing that's ending. And in order for the thing to be birthed, something else has to, has to, uh, has to die. Right. In order for, for the new to come, something else to be let go of. And, um, and you can see the Hebrew writer uh, in Hebrews 12.2. Uh, um, he says, therefore, we're surrounded. This is where he starts off the writer. Um, therefore, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So there it is again, for the joy set before him, right? John is saying something very similar when he's capturing the, the words of Jesus, like, I have to go because I'm sending somebody. I'm sending the advocate. Something greater will happen. Something greater will come. And, um, and the Hebrew writer says, Jesus himself goes to the cross, knowing that there's something better, there's something greater, there's something that is being birthed in this period of time. Um, so this is what is the sort of theme that we keep cap- capturing, keep seeing. It's captured in scripture, but it's seen over and over again in our lives as well, is that there's uh, there are ends, there are chapter turns, there's uh, always something that's changing. And much of the time, our struggle and our difficulty is, 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 is made greater. The pain of the moment is made greater by the clinging, by the holding on, by the, by the, um, the, by the refusal to kind of like see what's, what's next. And that's okay, by the way. You have your, we all have permission to be frustrated, to feel the pain, to all of us have the permission, total permission to do that. Um, but in that is um, G- the, the writers are inspiring the listeners. Could you see what's happening as well? Can you also see the good that's happening in the midst of, of the bad, in the midst of what you perceive as being bad? Right. So this is where all of this um, is, it, it, you know, all of scripture really is this large arc, story arc, um, that is that has uh, regular or similar themes that are played out and that are played out in most movies today that are played out in a lot of those hero kind of movies 
is that there's the there's always something that um, is that 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 is current that is disrupted. So your current state of life is disrupted, and then there's a period of difficulty, and then there's the period of after that that comes with the new um, and. Uh, and that cycle seems to return um, and keep going around. And it gets, the idea is that it gets better, is that the order that's created, the new that's created is better than the previous, um, not a return, but ever ascending and ever growing. Um, so that's where John 16, so John 16 and Hebrews 12. Um, so this is interesting because um, when we look at the creation narrative, and I don't know if I'll um, maybe share that. Yeah, I'll do that. I'll share that with you all. We'll go to um, Genesis. And um, let's see here. So many of you are familiar with the uh, Genesis. Oh, yeah. Gen Genesis. 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 There. Um, Genesis chapter one, you have something that scholars have wrestled with for a very, very long time. It, in the beginning, God creates the heaven and the earth. Okay. That's the starting point. This is where scholars begin to break this apart because here's your problem. In the beginning, God cre creates the heavens and the earth. And now the earth was formless and empty. So the big question that scholars have wrestled over was, did God create a world that was formless and empty? And darkness covered the face of the deep. In other words, does God create chaos? And, 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 and that doesn't make sense. They would their belief was that God creates something good and then something bad takes place. Um, then there are other readings of this, which is in the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. And then what happens is something bad happens in the process where there's something good that's created, something bad happens, and it creates this chaos where you have formless, empty, darkness covers the face of the deep. Um, however, it's read, and the scholars will debate this, and there may be no way that we can resolve this. But what we can do is recognize that it happens in our lives over and over again, and the truth of this is transcendent. It has always been true. It always will be true that there is a creation that takes place. There is a state in which things are good. And then for some reason, there's also a state that comes in where things get disrupted. And this is the classic uh, uh, myth of chaos that always enters the picture. So chaos and then order. You see that consistently over in all faiths, all religions for millennia um, is this rhythm of chaos and order. And so chaos comes in, and then what's fascinating about this is you have this little verse, throwaway verse. And I call it a throwaway verse because no one ever cares about this verse. No one ever talks about this verse. This verse is ignored by and large by uh, Christians. Um, and so, you know, you'll have a church that will preach on this and no one ever really addresses this. This is like it's passed by to get to this. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. But there's a reason why this is in here. And it's so very important. And that is because you do go from a good state where God creates the heavens and the earth to chaos, which happens in our lives, right? So our lives are normal. And then a chaos comes in, disrupts it. And then what we want is let's go back to order. So God said, let there be light and God fixes everything. And that's what we generally pray is 
God, fix my chaotic life, right? <laughs> God, fix what's going on in my life. Just, just solve the problem. And we want God to intervene, come in and rescue us and save us. And, and throughout the Bible, you'll see times where God actually does that. But you know what the frustration with God is? God's frustration, as, as the prophets would describe it, is that the intention is not for God to keep rescuing us from chaos. The desire for God is for us to co-join him in creating, co-creating with him, being part of the solution, moving past our consistent to, uh, rhythm or consistent, I guess, toggle back and forth between our chaos or, um, yeah, or chaos to order, uh, back to chaos, back to order without ever actually growing. And here, this is a movement forward. And so you have this little throwaway verse which is, and the spirit of God was hovering above the waters, above chaos. The spirit of God was there present to the chaos. And this is so important because when you move from chaos that happens here in verse two, the thing that we want to do, as I said, is to jump to order, but there's a pause here. And this is where the spirit hovers above the waters, and it seems like it's super unproductive. Are you with me? This is a very unproductive verse. And what was the Spirit doing? That's the question a lot of scholars ask. And what was the Spirit doing? What was happening? What was it? And we try to figure it out. And you know what? You folks who do this kind of with presence is uh, beautifully, you know what it is like when there are no words and there's nothing you do but you are just with somebody in the moment of their pain without solving any, any of their problems. And you weep with them and you hold them and you smile and you walk away from that period of time. And something happens, something you didn't cause, something they didn't cause, something magical happens in that space. And this is what is oftentimes missed because we're just so hurried to get to the production again, get back to fixing things, get back to that place of order that I once possessed. I wanna get back so quickly. And if you feel that, you are with me because I feel that. I feel that moment by moment, day by day, week by week. This is human nature, we need that. And yet you have this throwaway verse, the spirit was hovering above the waters. So if that's true, that there's the space in between spaces, space between chaos and order called spirit hovering over waters, which mystics call liminal space. An architecture liminal space means threshold. It means like a hallway, like a stairwell, right? Nobody sleeps or cooks, pan makes pancakes in a hallway. You know, it's, it's not a place of destination. It's a transition point. It's a place between places. And that's why it's called a liminal space. But we experience that emotionally, very much so. Like this is a space that I'm in, where nothing is happening or it seems like nothing's happening. But if you're faithful to liminal space, so much is happening. So let me describe liminal space when it comes to things like letting the ground lie fallow. Um, there's this verse, um, and uh, in, in um, thanks, Dave, I love that. I never thought about hovering over the waters that way. That makes so much sense. Awesome, thank you. 
yeah, I mean, it did too to me. It was like, wow, what an eye opener. <laughs> like, you know, these throwaway verses that make no sense. And then eventually they make sense. It's like, oh, right. And they make sense like in lived experience. Um, so there's this thing called letting the ground lie fallow. And it's in Leviticus 25 as well as Exodus. But in Leviticus, it articulates it far more. And the writer there is talking about what happens, what should happen every seven years. In the seventh year, these folks who, um, who were farmers, uh, who tilled the soil, were to allow the ground to lie fallow. Now, today, that's no surprise. No farmer thinks that that's crazy. They understand what happens when the ground is overused. You lose the nutrients. You have to, you have to move crops around. In fact, sometimes planting a different kind of crop actually restores um, you know, the soil. There's all sorts of things that um, farmers have figured out over the, you know, over the centuries by necessity. Uh, but one of them is if you overfarm land, you lose nutrients. And, uh, and so letting the ground lie fallow, the idea was that the nutrients, the, the land would restore itself, right? Now, do we see this biologically speaking? Yes, we do. Because every night that you sleep, something magical happens. Your brain washes itself. Your brain makes connections it didn't make before. Patterns are connected. Things that were disconnected before now are reconnected or connected for the first time. Your brain has an amazing capacity at putting things together during the time of sleep. It's a, it's a fascinating thing that that would happen. Now, we also see this in, 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 in other stories like, okay, so Jesus dies and is resurrected. We like the Friday and we talk about the Sunday. Those are the two days we talk about. How many have ever heard a sermon preached about Saturday? <laughs> very, very, very few. I know some who have, but it's very few. Most never talk about Saturday. That's liminal space. That's the spirit hovering above the waters. That's the ground lying fallow. That's what Saturday is. It's the space between spaces. This is the most disorienting thing. The disciples have at least something to do on Friday, run for their lives. And on Sunday, they can run to the grave and they can celebrate and they can be somewhat like renewed in their faith, even though they had a lot of doubts still. Right. So, but Saturday, that's rough. Saturday is the roughest day. It's the space between spaces. It's liminal space. Something's happening, though. This is the thing that we, we miss so many times, is that the liminal space is actually the creative space. It's what creates something new every single time. But you have to be faithful to it, you know, which we tend not to be. Uh, and so we overwork the ground. And so then it stops producing as much fruit the next year. And we still work it hard, and we work even harder but it stops producing as much the, the third year, but we still work hard and we work even harder. And then by the fourth, fifth year, sixth year, after we should have taken a break, the ground has stopped producing and we're frustrated and we're angry and we're disillusioned. But human bodies need rest, minds need rest. Transitions, new things that are being created need the space in order for them to create, to be created. Uh, and so this is what happens on a large scale. Now, um, this is also where um, a great metaphor is that of, 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 a, of a pregnant mom, okay? This is where word becomes flesh. In the space of liminality, 
there's creation that takes place. So spirit hovers above the waters in Genesis 1. And then God says, let there be light. First thing, which is, in other words, being able to see, the ability to see. So what happens is from that period of there's the spirit hovering above the waters, there's this intimate moment. And in the Hebrew, it is beautiful. It's very much like, um, like a mother hovering above, right? And another metaphor can be used is like two lovers coming together. There's, there's something happening in that space. It's close, it's intimate, it's beautiful, it's painful, it's sad, it's all sorts of things going on. But when the baby is within the belly of the mother, the mother has this sort of concept, right? We have a concept of a child. It's like, oh, we have this child that's coming, right? Unseen at this point, but a child is coming. And there is excitement about that, but yet it is still very much word. It has not become flesh. It, 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 now, of course, biologically, we know it has, but, but from a standpoint of, can you imagine the ancient world? Like looking at this thing, it's like, what's happening? We can't see in the belly. We can't see beyond, you know, what we're observing. But you know, what's fascinating about this is change takes place within the mother, right? So the mother is changing. When something new is happening within you and within me during this space of liminality, there is something that is starting to take shape. It is changing you. It is changing me before it ever takes form. And there's a saying uh, that's been around for a long time in the business world. Form follows function. You first do, and then you figure out what, what form this should be. What, what should it be? Instead of trying to figure out form first and then figure out what you're supposed to do. Like, What's the structure of this thing? What exactly is this going to look like? Don't know. You have to actually begin doing and living for it to then have shape. And so this baby begins to be, to take shape, but it's as it's taken shape within you, it is changing you. And then eventually it is birthed. And when it is birthed, there it is. Now you know the form. Now you know this thing. It has become flesh. And so we see this with Jesus, or Paul, or John, rather, excuse me again, back to John. John saying that uh, the word became flesh and lived among us, became Christ, became Jesus. And this happens over and over again. Um, the, the problem for most of us is the ability to see Christ among us, right? So that was the problem of the first, uh, of, of the first uh, generation, or the first, or, uh, yeah, the, what do you call it, the first century. <laughs> there it is. They had a hard time being able to perceive that Jesus in the flesh was God. Very difficult to see. Jesus as a human did not, you know, it was very, most people didn't see him as God until much later. Right? And so, um, so this is why uh, the writers are oftentimes talking about this kind of experience of Jesus or God being among us and us not seeing God because we're still in the space of liminality. See, Israel is in that space when Jesus shows up. She has been somewhat freed, yeah, in a sense. She had been put into exile hundreds of years before, taken away by the Babylonians, and then under um, the Persians and the Greeks, and then finally the Romans, but they're allowed at least to come back to their land, and they're starting to build, they rebuilt the temple, and so it's starting to be like something's happening, there's something being birthed, but it's not yet taken shape. We're still not fully who we were at one point. And, 
Uh, and so they, you know, this is the, this is the space of liminality. They still feel like it's somewhat of, in a world of darkness. They're under the oppression of Rome, but it's always in that space that something new is being birthed, always in the space of chaos, always in the space of darkness. Spirit comes and hovers above darkness, hovers above chaos, and then new creation begins to take place. But can you perceive it? Because if you can perceive it, then you can join with God and say, let there be light. And there was light. And then God separated the light from the darkness. And there was then in the first day was created, right? And then after that, creation continues. But the invitation for us is, can you join in with what's happening? You know why we can say this, this invitation where we like to stick at, stay at Genesis and say, but God did it, but not in Acts. In Acts, it's the people who do it. So back to John 16, and I'll end with this. In John 16, back to where we started, Jesus says, I have to go away because I'm going to send the advocate. Now, what happens when Jesus actually leaves Nothing. <laughs> this is what's, if you read what happens immediately after, absolutely nothing. The disciples kind of go, well, Peter goes, well, I gotta, guess I got to go back to fishing. Okay, that's, that's it. You go back to fishing, nothing else. And there's a lot of disillusionment. There's a lot of, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what to do. And so they go back to their lives. Nothing much happens. And then Jesus appears to them. Right? So again, in the space of liminality, in the space of where the ground is lying fallow, Leviticus says, eat from whatever the ground produces. Just go out and look. You'll find stuff that's naturally produced. You didn't grow it. It just grew by itself. Now go eat that. That's exactly almost what Jesus says to the disciples when he says, uh, when he appears to them, and they're like, oh my gosh, look, we had this experience. It's amazing in the space of in between. And Jesus says, yeah. Isn't this amazing? And they say, where are you going? Because he starts to ascend in Acts chapter one. Where are you going? Where are you going? When are you going to restore the kingdom? When is all this things, all, all this stuff's going to happen? When, when are we going to be back? And Jesus says, that's up to the father to know that. And he says, but here's what you're going to do. You're going to be witnesses for me. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. What does that mean? You're going to be experiencing me. You're going to be experiencing me. You're going to be seeing me. And you're going to be talking about me. But what is it going to become? Is it going to become like this kingdom that we had imagined? Because see, we're Jewish people and we've always had a synagogue and we've always had this and we've always had that and we've always had the other. And that is church. That's what it looks like. That's what we've always done. And Jesus says, oh, yeah, all of that I have no answers for, but here's what you're going to do. <laughs> you're going to be witnesses for me. How frustrating. How frustrating. Could you imagine? That's how we feel. That's how we, we all feel in this space. because. Fine 39 is coming to a close. And that's difficult because we're saying to ourselves, like, well, what's next and what's going to happen? And what, yeah, yeah, I've asked those same questions. I've wrestled similarly with the same pains. This has been distressing to all of us, right? But what we see as a theme regularly over and over again throughout scripture is this theme of, yeah, but you'll be witnesses. Can you stay in the liminal space and allow the ground to produce whatever it produces and you look for it and you find it? You find Jesus being born. You find, you, 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 you have this, this you, you will have experiences if you stay faithful to it. You know, it's like the shepherds, all of a sudden they, you know, the angels appear to them. They say, oh, go look for him. He's over here. So they go look for him. But it would be years before Jesus would become a man, it would be years before he would do any ministry, right? 
but it's not years before they get to experience stuff and get to taste and see something amazing is happening. And so we're going to have to privilege function for a little while before we have form. We're going to have to privilege the actual experience of being a follower of Jesus without the structure to support us in the moment in, the, in during this time, you know? And so for some of you, that's not going to be your path. For some of you, you're going to, your path to be faithful to your path, it's going to take you elsewhere. It's going to take you to another church home and that's where you're going to be. And that's fantastic. Um, and we bless you to do that really, um, because that's important for you to be faithful to what it is that God has for you. For others of you, you're going to definitely feel like you're being invited out into the desert to wander for a little while, like the uh, Israelites were invited to do so. <laughs> Leave the comforts of their uh, of, of Egypt, even though it was uncomfortable, it was still comfortable to leave Egypt, to go to the desert, and to be formed in the desert. Right? So that's, um, some of you are going to be invited into that space. Um, so, um, but yeah, ask yourself the big question. What is being birthed right now inside of me? What is God doing inside of me? You're not going to want to, as John 16, as Jesus says, you don't want it. You're not asking me where I'm going because right now you don't, you, you don't have the space for that. I get that. Right? But you're, you're, uh, you're going be, to be benefited by asking that question. Like, what is being birthed within me? What is God doing in my life right now? And as you do so, you're going to start to see it because there's always something being birthed in the midst of darkness. God's always faithful in doing that. There's always something good happening in that time frame. So it is difficult. It is painful. Um, we had to make the decision, as we've told um, you, unfortunately, based on um, the practical realities, but also based on some other spiritual realities, things that are happening within us, things that are being birthed within us. Um, so, um, so our hearts are with you. And we hold your pain and we hold space for that. And we're not going to try to fix it, solve it. Even if you want us to, I'd love to solve it. I'd love to snap my fingers and make it go away. Um, but what I can do is give you the assurance that if you're faithful uh, to this season and you're faithful to seeing is seeking like the Magi who come, you know, these, these Magi were mag Magoi in Greek, meaning magicians. So they were people that came that were practices of all sorts of amazing arts, amazing, amazing arts um, that uh, helped them to understand uh, a little bit of science, but uh, also spirituality. They're just hungry. They're just seeking. And they came all the way over from the East to find this person named Jesus. And they have this powerful experience and they go back home. Their hearts are filled. And so be seeking, my friends. Uh, and see if you can see Jesus in the midst of all of that. With that, I want to take a pause and just give you some uh, moments to uh, to respond, to um, maybe ask some questions. Um, yeah. So, Holly, you're saying, yeah, traditional churches do not fill you. Yeah, I hear you. I'm sad, Deanna. It's difficult. It's giving... It's giving up sometimes I do that when life gets difficult. I have too many choices to shut down. Okay, so that's good. That's a good distinction between like liminality is a place of rest, but it's not a place of, um, there's a difference. And I've had to articulate this for myself because I know the feeling in me of giving up versus like surrender, right? So the surrender to God is a different thing than sort of giving up. Giving up feels to me like 
I quit, you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm angry or I'm frustrated or I'm hurt or I'm disillusioned, um, disappointed. Whereas the surrender, it's a, um, it, it can have some of those feelings, but it's a, um, it's a release of the things that I perceive I can control and recognize I ultimately cannot control those things. And I release those things. Um, and when I do that tends to bear better fruit than the sort of giving up. Um, Jack, you've really enjoyed your teaching, Joel. Thank you so much for this season. Yeah, we can just end there. Thank you. That's like a good place to end. Um, thanks, Jackie. Uh, way to my heart. Um, so yeah, I appreciate that so much. Um, I've been, I've loved uh, doing it. That's one of my favorite things is to, is to teach. Um, yeah, a little lost as to where I go. Deanna, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. And Holly as well, traditional churches don't fill you. So yes, it's, it's difficult um, to know what to do next. Yeah. And we're going to talk a little bit next week about the, um, like I said, the new wine um, and what we perceive is happening within us. We don't have a function or a form yet. That's, that's one of the things that we cannot tell you or, or speak about at this point. We don't know. Um, but um, we do have some sense as to what the function should be for us. And, you know, that's may differ for you. You may have a different thing that emerges for you. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about that. So that'll give you the sort of 30,000 foot view of what we perceive is happening to us. Um, as we come to the end of summer in a new cool fall season, may God's colors drape you in warmth. May you feel and welcome his change on earth and enjoy the new colors before you. Seasons change and so do we, but the one thing that will never change is the love of God for us. <clears throat> As we move around this week, may God's traveling mercy guide us safely wherever we may go. When prayed for, God's miracles come down. So please don't be shy with God. Don't be afraid to ask God for the miracles in which you pray for. May your conversation and prayer with God flow through your heart, and may the end result of your prayers be answered. Enjoy your week. In God's name, spread peace. Amen.